0: greetings friends welcome back to yet another episode of the encouraging word. Uh, Stephen and I are, are back with you on the other side of a holiday season that was uh, tumultuous and uncertain and hopefully despite that filled with joy and um, holiday cheer and, and great fellowship and and uh, creating of good memories for you and your families and uh, excited to get back at it and um, having spent the last uh, month plus talking about Christmas, we are returning to uh, one of the conversations that we were having uh, prior to the holiday season, and that is uh, some of the, the leaders of the Christian movement and of, of the church throughout history. Uh, if you recall, we, we uh, started immediately after uh, essentially the, the Book of Acts in the early church, and we talked about some of those leaders uh, just just outside of uh, Bible times that carried the church all the way through uh the first five centuries or so and uh today we're going to pick up with the next period of of church history uh, we're actually going to skip a few <laughs> a few hundred almost <laughs> thousand years um because to be quite frank um it was a a lot of uh nothing going on uh, relatively speaking uh, especially as far as the history books are concerned uh, with the church from that period of of maybe 500 to 1300 or so, um, certainly there were there were key leaders and and some uh, things going on. But some of the biggest movements and changes and uh, dramatic events in the church uh, occurred during the period we know as the the uh, Protestant Reformation, and that's a, the period we're going to be focusing on today. Uh, we'll be bringing some information on four different leaders and breaking uh, down their lives and their their influence on the church and the path that it took. So uh, with everything queued up, we got one more task to knock out before we can get to it, and that is to cover our FIT segment, those things in Stephen and I's lives uh, that have been funny, interesting, or thought-provoking in uh, the the time since we last spoke. So, uh, Stephen, you got something hilarious for us (coughs) today?
1: Yeah, so I got... um (laughs) yes (laughs) <laughs> yes <laughs> something hilarious a little slow on the uptake right, there I, I see what he's getting at um yeah for my fit segment i'm doing um so i kind of i'm gonna pick up i'm gonna try to pick up we'll see how far it gets i'm picking up the habit of drawing or sketching i guess so that's why Paul said, you have something funny for us because he must think my drawings are funny. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Is that what I meant by that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Okay. I'll take credit for that. I wouldn't put it past you. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I've been, so I'm really into nature photography and um, almost a lot of things, just nature. Um, So I'm looking into um, drawing landscapes and so far, I've drawn a tree and a deer. <laughs> so, <laughs> sounds very, uh, very, sounds very um, not dramatic, but um, it, I guess they look okay. I don't know. I mean, you know what they are when you see them, I guess, but um, I'm, no, um, I'm no up-and-coming artist. So, um, But it's fun. I really enjoy it. Um, I really enjoy I put on some, at least for the deer, I put on some, like, nature-sounding music like you're in the forest and you just draw and it's really relaxing and helps you get your mind off things or, or also can help you focus but um, I just I think as I've gotten older I've really um, leaned into the creative side of myself I guess so like photography and drawing and playing piano and um, I just realized I love creative stuff so um, yeah, so I'm start sketching and we'll see. Well, um, if I bring this up again in a couple months, we'll see how far I've gotten. Um, maybe maybe I'll show everyone a picture on the podcast. So that'll be Ooh, great.
0: <laughs> that'll be that'll be like the highlight of the year for the <laughs> right.
1: podcast. Right, everyone will love to see it. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, I I believe I have a, a couple of drawings from your daughters hanging on my fridge at home so Uh, when you have something that's fridge worthy (laughs) you know when you progress beyond stick figures and stick is there such a thing as a stick figure tree or is that a contradiction of no
1: there's such a thing yeah um yeah that'd be great that's my goal then is to get my picture on your fridge on the bennett fridge yeah yeah maybe i'll do a, a portrait of you and see if (laughs) <laughs> that's good enough to get on your fridge
0: well it <laughs> probably depends on how you're feeling about me at the moment but um you know shoot for the stars yeah. steven if you can get on my fridge then that's that's quite an that's accomplishment. my next
1: sketch paul preaching in the woods yeah. <laughs> you'll have nature music nature, on in the yeah. background yeah, or you could have me preaching yeah, in the, you're background. All the background it'll be inspiring
0: <laughs> all sorts of different ways well, we've managed to pulverize <laughs> yet another great uh fit segment right. uh, with our um, attempt at comedy but uh <laughs> for for mine i I guess I, I waffle back and forth on whether to share this because it's uh you know of course it's New Year's and everybody's doing their their new thing, trying to trying to uh, better themselves and this actually for me goes back uh well before New year's, but uh, I try to to take up. Um, I think people younger than me would call it running, but for me, it's more of a, a, a slow jog or <laughs> just moving. I try to pick up moving again. Uh, so I, I've been, uh, we're, we're fortunate enough to live near the middle school here in Rocky river. And, and so, uh, just every, every other day I go over and, and jog around the track. Um, uh, about a handful of times and um so that's that's been my new good habit that i've tried to form and of course for every good one i'm sure i add a, a bad one to the mix too but um but yeah things are going good it's fun to keep track of your times and, and watch every time you go out uh, trim off a, a few seconds here and there and then you get your uh covid booster shot one day and, and then you add another minute <laughs> to your next <laughs> running time because it just uh beats you up a little bit but Um, trying to push through the the winter months uh the cold and the wind and uh it's it's an adventure it's a it's a uh, wilderness out there but um trying to trying to better myself at least in in one small way uh to counter all the the ways that i'm slowly deteriorating (laughs) and so many others so
1: it's weird because i heard talk in the community they said there's some strange man limping around a track is that, is that you is that, is that what they're talking that,
0: about? I think that's my son uh, he, okay. he runs <laughs> yeah. with me sometimes yeah right yeah he doesn't he's more like a
1: gazelle <laughs> uh, he, uh, you're, he's yeah. just Lapping around compared to him me. I
0: look yeah. like a yes like a, a cheetah or something <laughs> yeah. right no that, that definitely would just probably describe oh, yeah, me yeah, and, okay. and my son's the one that's <laughs> passing me about three times every lap yeah, yeah. But uh it's a good time. It's a good time. Yeah. So uh on to these these four uh just so happen to be gentlemen. We're <coughs> still at the point in history where it seems like um all the movers and shakers that make the history books anyhow were of the male persuasion. And uh Stephen, you were gonna start us off in uh chronological order with the first one that uh that made their presence known in this world. So who do you got for us?
1: Right. Um so we're actually, I know Paul mentioned here at the beginning on the top of the podcast that we're looking at Protestant Reformation, which we basically are, um, but some things happened just before that error that um, actually laid the foundation for the Protestant Reformation to take place. Um, so there were, were reformers. Um, yes, the history books are kind of quiet for a couple hundred years, but of course God was certainly working, and God is always working, and um, this is also an important place to say that. Um, the people mentioned just the people who are mentioned in the textbooks, or even you can go just the, the people who are mentioned in scripture, they weren't the only ones alive, right? So they were many, 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 many people who were faithful to God, who were doing the work of God, who are never mentioned in the pages of scripture, who are never mentioned in the pages of the history books, who are never mentioned in the, in the pages of church history, but many, many people who faithfully serve God, um, who. Um, God knows about. He knows their name. He knows what they did for him, um, and they, he knows their faithfulness um, to him, and we may never know until uh, we reach those pearly gates, so. Um, but one of the men that kind of laid the foundation for the uh, Reformation or the Protestant Reformation was John Wycliffe. Um, he lived from 1330 to 1384. Um, he was born about Two hundred miles out of London, and he was a sheep farmer, which I guess continues the the habit of biblical heroes being uh, shepherds. Hmm. Um, and I, but I'm not a shepherd. Are you a shepherd, Paul? We uh, shepherd our kids. That's, we. Yes, yeah.
0: we're, we're a shepherd of the 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 greater flock. The yes. greater <laughs> flock. But of there
1: course. Um. But yeah, so he grew up two hundred miles from on London, just, um, sh- on a sheep farm. At the age of sixteen, he. Um, went to Oxford and became, and he also got his master's at um, Balliore College around 1360. Um, so he was really well-educated um, growing up. And a lot of, also too, well, a lot of these guys um, that we speak about were borderline genius when I think about it. They mm-hmm. they got um, their education very early on and had their master's degree probably in their 20s. And um, and were doctorates in the 30s. But anyways, they were incredibly smart people. Um, but what, what Cliff was really known for <clears throat> is his speaking up against, at that time, the Catholic Church, which had all the authority. The Catholic Church had more authority than governments. Um, governments were subjected to the Catholic Church, even though the Catholic Church, interestingly enough, really didn't have a military or, or any way of enforcement. But the power of the Catholic Church was... Um, was really astounding actually. Um, so he, he speaking speaking against the Catholic Church in many ways was certainly um, you would get imprisoned and and some would get killed for speaking out against the Catholic Church. Um, but what he's known for is that around 1370 he began writing some controversial material. Um, he wrote about the roles of government and church authorities. And arguing about um, how arguing that the ungodly had no right to rule Um, and he extended this to unjust rulers both secular and religious unjust rulers and and Wycliffe uh, gained the attention of Roman Catholic leaders Uh, eventually got the attention of Pope Gregory the 11th and they condemned him of 18 statements Um, 18 statements that Wycliffe made were condemned and he was called the Master of Errors. Um, and in 1378, Wycliffe was forced to retire from public life. Um, but eventually, he, um, he was allowed. He kind of had, um, quote-unquote, house arrest. But he was still able to speak and minister. Um, <clears throat> he's also known for his deep study of scripture. Um, he had such a, a yearning and love for Scripture and understanding the true Word of God, which reading the Scriptures and, and his learning for the Word of God, his yearning for the Word of God, led him to many of the views that he had against the Catholic Church. So he wasn't he wasn't trying to be rebellious just to be rebellious. He saw things within the Catholic Church that were not aligning with what he was reading in Scripture. So a couple of, a couple of those things were... Um, the doctrine of trans um, substitution.
0: Trans, trans uh, transubstantiation.
1: Transubstantiation. Yeah, yeah. Paul is a mouthful. my in-resident scholar here.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> the old limping guy, right? <laughs> yeah, Got to be good at something. Guy. Yeah, all right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um. So he said that what that typically is is that you believe that um, at the Lord's Supper that. Um, the bread and wine literally becomes um, the body and blood of Christ. Like very very literal belief in that. He was against it. Um, he said the bread while he said the bread will become virtual of Christ's words and body of Christ does not cease to be bread. Like so in, in essence that the bread and wine still remain bread and wine. they don't actually become the blood and body of Christ. Um, he challenged the indulgences. Uh, which we'll speak about again which will come up again later but um, so even in this early period it's it's obvious to Wycliffe something is wrong here he said it's plain this is quoted from Wycliffe it is plain to me that our um, indulgences um, do commonly blaspheme the wisdom of God um and he was also against private confessions, um, believing that we can confess to Christ ourself, that the apostles didn't have to go to someone else to confess to Christ, that they went to Christ himself. Um, and so he was against that as well. Um, and also, and finally, one of the big things that he uh, really um, hung his hat on was uh, the biblical teaching on faith, which again will lead to what we talk about later with uh, Martin Luther and for sure. But he said, trust wholly on Christ. Rely altogether on his suffering. Beware of seeking to be justified in any other way than by his righteousness. So during this time period, um, it is very common to have a view on righteousness that was supported by one's own works. And uh, Wycliffe was very against that. He saw that uh, righteousness was solely through the righteousness that we have is solely through faith in Christ. Um, and that we're justified through him and not by our own works. Um, and again, this was something that was absolutely counter to Catholic teaching and um, Catholic, Catholic practice at the time, at least. Um, he also believed, and this is the other thing that was big for him, and probably what he's most known for, is he believed that every, script, every Christian should have access to Scripture. So at the time, um, the Bible was only in latin um so if in the common people no one spoke latin at the time so um the common people couldn't understand what the bible said they had to go even if they got their hands on a bible which was really hard to do anyways first of all because everything was handwritten there was no this is before the printing press which had a major influence on the protestant reformation Um, So everything's handwritten, and so books are really hard to come by, and Bibles were really only in churches, so if you happen to get your hands on one or even look through one, you wouldn't be able to read it because it was written in Latin, which wasn't the common tongue or the common writing during the time. Um, So this created a barrier between people and church leadership. and really created a monopoly um, for the Catholic Church uh, when it came to the understanding and Um, interpretation of scripture Um, but Wycliffe believed that every Christian should have access to scripture Um, so the church um, him and uh, one of his good friends John Prevy um, started translating the Bible into English Um, the church bitterly opposed it um, and and this quote um, from the church at the time um, and this is from that time period so it (laughs) definitely is offensive, but um it says by this the church is quoted as saying, by this translation the scriptures have become vulgar, and they are no more available t- and they are more available to the lay, and even to women who can read um, than they were than they were to learned scholars who have high intelligence. So the pearl of the gospel is scattered and trotted underfoot by swine. So <laughs> having the lay or women reading the scriptures was considered scattering to swine, which is just so horrible, definitely. You can't say it in our day and age. And it, but it just, it just speaks to how fierce the church had on this monopoly of scripture, interpretation of the Bible. And really, in a sense, the church was using that as, as corruption um, that no one else could read it. Um, Wycliffe is quoted saying Englishmen learned Christ's law best Englishmen learned Christ's law best in English he said Moses heard God's law in his own tongue and so did Christ's apostles so he was saying the Bible itself has a history of translation right even the New Testament was translated from or the Old Testament was translated from Hebrew to Greek um, around the time of Paul, right? So they, they were reading Greek Old Testaments um, that they were around then. So um, translation has been a part of the Christian faith um, from the beginning, and and God has never wanted has never meant to create a barrier for the Word of God um, through translation, through um, not being able to understand the language. Um, so, obviously, this translation into English was considered heresy from the Catholic Church. Um, unfortunately, Wycliffe didn't actually live to see um, the translation finished. Um, he passed away before it finished. However, his good friend was able to finish the translation. Um, that I believe it's called the Wy- Wycliffe English Bible. Um, so, he was able to finish this, um, but still... Uh, Wycliffe supporters uh, will be burned at the stake with the Wycliffe Bibles that they had um, because they, they were considered heresy. Um, but however, the seed that was planted by Wycliffe um, was a seed that sprouted and grew and grew and grew all the way to the point point to the people that we'll speak about here soon. Um, and there's actually talk that, um, I think it was a couple of hundred years, Years after Wycliffe died, he was considered a heretic again by the Catholic Church. And they, I think, believe they dug up his bones and then burned them and then threw them in the water. And because what he started was was the very root um, of the beginning of uh, really the beginning of the Protestant Reformation that would happen hundreds of years after his life, though. Um, so, yeah, that's that's this quick synopsis on Wycliffe.
0: Wow. Um, and yeah, I uh, encountered most of the same material and um, also noted early in his life. I thought it was interesting. He lived during the, the time when the bubonic plague uh, was right. uh, pretty right. widespread. And right. so his time in the university was yep. extended. I think it took him almost four decades or something right. to complete his studies because of the outbreaks of the plague kept uh, right. kept kept uh, putting a pause on his education and right. you know I, of course what we're going through now as difficult <laughs> as it is is nothing, nothing compared it <laughs> no, right yeah I
1: think uh, the bubonic plague killed like a third of Europe or something yeah That's crazy
0: absolutely really absolutely crazy. yeah pretty pretty intense um, but uh, Wycliffe was definitely the r- the right person for the right time in in the era th- in which he lived and you know it's interesting. Um, had a couple of questions jotted down to toss around. But I think one just in particular I want to focus on, one concept is this this uh, passion that he had and, and others in the Protestant Reformation as well. But maybe he in particular to get the Bible into the hands of the, the common uh, folk and how he sensed that there was such corruption and, and uh, that the the leaders of the church were were seeking to control people, manipulate people, because they were the only ones that were trusted with the truth of the gospel and, and others weren't allowed to uh, receive it except as it was spoon-fed to them by uh, the Pope and, and by other church leaders. And Wycliffe uh, fought to the end uh, for that to right. be uh, changed and um And, of course, it has been such that, you know, each of us, uh, whether we we take advantage of it or not, have probably multiple Bibles in our homes. Uh, We could, you know, open our our phone, turn our phones on within five seconds, have any verse uh, that we want pulled up, have access to it anytime, Um, which is fantastic. But it, it also, to me... Uh, demonstrates how, you know, as we look back through history, and this is one of the reasons I've, I've always loved to study history, we see different periods in which people fought, uh, t- you know, and, and gave their lives in many cases to uh, to change the course of history, such that people would um, have opportunities and be granted rights and freedoms that they otherwise uh, would never have. Wycliffe was was one of those. Um, but then to, to at the same time grieve how little we uh, appreciate, or at least in, in the way we live, how little we appreciate all that they fought for, you know, because uh, to imagine in, in Wycliffe's time for people to have a device in their pocket that they could pull up the Bible anytime in any language they wanted, any mm-hmm. passage uh, would have been unimaginable it, it would have been it would have meant the world to them it would have you know been the the completion of everything they fought their entire lives to accomplish yet Man. we have it um, at our disposal every second and we we do so little to um, to take advantage of it and put it to use the way they intended us to so uh, so many things we can learn and that's as Protestant Reformation you could apply that same reasoning to, you know the uh, the formation of the uh, the American uh, nation of America. You could you could apply that to any other period in history or, or group of people where people were fighting for the the rights and the freedoms of others. And and um, you know so often we take those things for granted. Just uh, maybe decades, um, you know, or, or centuries later. So any yeah. reflections on that, Steve? Or should I plow on? Um, well, it also reminds me
1: too why think that's the history behind stained glass windows and stuff because they would get the biblical story mm. to from the windows and also why plays like live action plays and stuff are so important um that people could learn the scriptures through those as well because they couldn't couldn't read it for themselves. Um but yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great point. The uh the images um that the churches held um were important because they were ways of mm-hmm. portraying uh, different concepts in Scripture, and, and theater was a, a big piece of that. And, of course, the, the oral tradition is, is often referred right. to as right. a, sure. that people didn't have a copy of the Bible, so they became a copy of the Bible. Right. You know, grandparents would pass the, the Scriptures down to their grandkids by just uh, right. just regurgitating it <laughs> night right. after night so their, their grandkids will memorize it and pass it on to the next generation. Right. So. Um, people persisted they found a way through but uh, praise the lord you know this period in history occurred where where people fought to uh, change that and grant uh, the freedom of access to scripture to everybody yeah and uh, the probably the most influential person in that regard um, or at least the, the most well-known and and the person most closely associated with the protestant reformation would be martin luther uh without the king jr so here in america we (laughs) we have to specify um but perhaps i'm not sure the history behind this but uh, an inspiration maybe to in the naming of uh, martin luther king jr that's uh i'm not sure how i don't uh know that for sure but i i have a sense that there's probably a connection there uh martin luther was born in 1483 born in in Saxony which is uh, modern-day Germany his parents were were peasants Um, his father was a miner and uh, his father knew that mining was a a tough way to go through life and he wanted his uh, son who showed great promise um, to to have a better life than he did so he uh, sent him down the path to become a lawyer and so at, at what was at the time very young age, uh, the age of seven, Luther entered um, uh, schooling to become a lawyer. He uh, enrolled in a school studying grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And um, later he, he spoke of this time period um, and how this experience was equivalent to purgatory and hell yeah. for him. <laughs> he was not a big fan of, uh, of at least this, this area of uh, academics. But nonetheless, he he went on and uh, received a degree in in grammar, logic, rhetoric, and metaphysics. Um, But in 1505, so this would be at the age of 22, uh, Luther had a life-changing experience and set him on a new course to become a monk, and it it was this. He was caught in a horrific thunderstorm where he thought he was going to die, and he cried out to St. Anne. Uh, the patron saint of minors, uh, perhaps the the saint that his parents uh, most closely uh, affiliated with and taught him about when he was young. And he cried out to St. Anne, save me, and I will become a monk. And the storm subsided, and and, uh, (laughs) Luther was saved. And so uh, true to his word, he he knew he had to to become a monk. Um, And his father was not pleased with this. His father wanted him to become a, a lawyer. Uh, But Luther kept uh, to his word, and uh, it says here he was driven by fears of hell and and of God's wrath and felt um, that maybe there would be some promise in life as a monk that he would find salvation, he would find peace uh, for the turmoil that he felt within him. The first few years of of monastic life were not easy for him. He didn't find this religious uh, enlightenment he was hoping to experience. A mentor told him um, at that time to focus his life exclusively on On Jesus Christ, though, and and, um, this ultimately helped him kind of turn a corner in that regard uh, to to finding some peace as he began to focus on the person of Jesus. Age 27, so this is five years later, he's given the opportunity to uh, uh, be a delegate to a Catholic church conference in, in Rome. Uh, but he came away discouraged, uh, upset even, about the immorality and the corruption that he witnessed there. Maybe his first time being exposed to the, the, uh, the upper hierarchy leadership of the Catholic Church. Uh, didn't like what he saw. He went back to Germany, uh, enrolled in the University of Wittenberg, and uh, went back to trying to suppress all this uh, frustration he felt and the spiritual turmoil that he had within him. Um, became a, a professor of theology at uh, the University of Wittenberg. and through his studies of scripture, he uh, finally began to find the peace that he had been seeking and uh, focusing on different passages in, in scripture and and uh, ultimately a passage from Romans uh, that said the just will live by faith was a, a phrase and a passage that uh, especially, uh, sunk in for him and began to change the way that he viewed uh, the church and, and his faith. Uh, finally, he realized the key to spiritual salvation was not fear, uh, was not fear of God, uh, but belief that faith alone could bring salvation. And uh, he uh, completely transformed on account of accepting this and set in motion his his actions to bring on the Protestant Reformation. And perhaps the, the one action that he's most uh, associated with to that end, um, on October 31st, what I know back then was Halloween, but I know <laughs> today it is here in the, the good old US of A. October 31st, 1517, Luther is, is angry because Pope Leo X is, uh, is asking for a new round of indulgences to help build uh, a big fancy uh, basilica to St. Peter in, in Rome. And um, essentially these, indul- in, these indulgences are um, good works, which often includes uh, monetary donations that the Pope and, and the, the religious leadership was uh, basically manipulating or, or pressuring people to, to do, to give um, and and in, in response, supposedly, their, their sins would be canceled by uh, the priests and, and, and the Pope at the time. So Leo X, the, po- the current Pope, was trying to use this, uh, this rule of indulgences to, to gain some money so that he could build this fancy basilica. And uh, Luther was having none of it. He was not pleased. It was not common to stand up to the Pope, but he did it. He went and nailed uh, what was referred to as his 95 Theses, on the wall of what? or on the door, you say feces? thesis? Thesis? Oh, yeah, the, the theses <laughs> with a th there. Um, I mean, <laughs> if you're really upset, you might decide to nail some. you typically, maybe put yeah. in a bag or. But thank you for completely okay. <laughs> derailing. So yeah, Luther decided to nail his um, 95 statements. Does that help? Does that help? Yeah, that okay, 95 <laughs> statements on <laughs> the, the door. I thought you were upset because they said wall instead of door, but oh, here your yeah. mind was completely <laughs> elsewhere. So, 95 theses on, on the, the door of the chapel of the University of Wittenberg, and these laid out a, a devastating critique of these indulgences and, and uh, all sorts of other things that Luther was not pleased about. Uh, the Catholic Church at the time. And we referenced the printing press. uh, 1495, if my history brain uh, serves me correct, is when it was invented, and and this was just a few decades after. And because of the printing press, copies of his 95 statements uh, spread throughout Germany in just a few weeks and then all around Europe uh, within the next couple of months. And um, in, let's see, this would be the next year, by 1518, Luther was ordered to recant his uh, statements by the authority of the Pope, and Luther refused, saying that he would not recant unless Scripture proved that what he was saying was wrong. And he went even further, saying that uh, he didn't consider the Pope uh, that uh, had authority to interpret Scripture. And um, when Luther was brought in to to be confronted by the Pope, uh, it all ended in a shouting match, and um, in, in, in his uh, excommunication from the, the Catholic Church was initiated uh, by the end of this, this meeting. So Luther's excommunicated. He continues to, to lecture. He continues to speak out on his beliefs, declaring that the Bible uh, does not give the Pope the right to interpret Scripture, uh, direct attack on the Pope's authority, and... Um, and then ultimately just a few years later this excommunication that had been set in process uh, yeah is completed and on um december 10th of 1520 luther burns the letter um that, uh, that issues this decree that he would be ex- uh, excommunicated and and so i think the pope <laughs> was done giving warnings and uh, talking about it luther's officially excommunicated um just a a month after that 1521 so it took four years from the 95 theses to be officially excommunicated uh, but that's how it played out Uh, a couple months after that luther was summoned to a general assembly and luther continued to refuse to recant his statements Um, his writings were banned Uh, he was uh, declared a convicted heretic He became a condemned and wanted man. Uh, His friends helped him hide out in a a nearby castle. Um, And while he was uh, hiding in this castle in seclusion, he translated the New Testament into the German language, similar to Wycliffe and his buddy uh, Purvey that were translating it into the English language. Uh, Once again, the intent to give ordinary people the opportunity to read God's word. Um, And though Luther was still under arrest, he returns um, to organize a, a new church um, under the name, ultimately, Lutheranism, the Lutheran Church. He had many followers. He received support from uh, German princes, and he started this this new movement. Uh, he was married a couple years after that. Katharina von Bora, a former nun, um, she and uh, several other Reformed nuns decided to escape uh, the life of uh, nunnery and uh, smuggled out a, a letter um, from the convent that they were living to ask Luther for help in this process. And Luther, this is a, kind of a cool story. Uh, Luther decides to help these nuns who are, you know, agreeing with his beliefs and one out. Uh, he he gets the help of a fishmonger and he has these rebellious nuns hide in herring barrels, barrels full of fish, right? Mm. And, uh, and they're snuck out of the convent after dark. <laughs> so he helps these nuns escape. Mm. And ultimately he and, and this uh, one particular Katharina get married. And uh, so this is a scandalous marriage. this nun who's just escaped, this disgraced monk. And um, the, uh, the marriage is, you know fraught with uh, all sorts of um, controversy, but the two loved each other. They ended up having six children. Uh, Katharina uh, came alongside Luther and his movement and helped him raise money, um, did a lot of great, uh, great work um, to support the other activists around them. Luther later said of his marriage, this is his quote, uh, In marrying Katharina, I have made the angels laugh and the devils weep. Um, but uh, they were a true partnership, which was unusual for that time. Uh, Luther trusted her, and uh, she likewise uh, Luther continued to serve as the dean of theology for the last 13 years of his life at uh, the University of Wittenberg. He suffered from a number of illnesses. Um, one of the, the blemishes on his record were that he wrote some documents that uh, spoke ill of, of uh, Judaism and, and so was accused of being uh, anti-Semitic. Um, also spoke, uh, down on, on Muslims, um, in different ways. So, uh, you know, controversy as, as always, and, um, certainly in his time period, you know, we have to try and see that through that, that lens, but, uh, certainly not, uh, not pleasant to, to hear that of, of somebody who otherwise is so well revered. Um, but he, uh, lived a, an incredible life, died, uh, following a stroke, uh, 1546 at the age of 62, and once again because of that gutenberg press his teachings and his beliefs um influenced this uh, movement of the protestant reformation in in tremendous ways and uh kicked off what would transform the church over a period of time and martin luther after a a life uh, well lived and um, incredible impact that i don't think we can even begin to quantify to this day um, just uh just so much to learn and and so much to share um but uh, i I think the question for me um that i want to wrestle with at the end of all this uh, so that we can figure out how it applies to us in this day and age because the the church is always going to be off track with something right it's always going to it's always going to lose the way hopefully for the most part it'll be an entity that is uh, that has integrity um, that seeks the truth that is loving but it's always going to be doing something wrong. So, uh, in in Luther's situation, you know he's uh, living in the, the 15th century here, right? Uh, 16th century. And um, how is he how is he able to in ways that people before him wasn't uh, weren't? How is he able to recognize the, the propaganda and the corruption and call it out uh, to the extent that he did? Why did he uh, see? How did he see it? How did he have success combating it um, in ways that others hadn't? Any thoughts on that, Stephen? Yeah, well, I think it's,
1: um, a lot of it goes back to what I talked about with John Wycliffe, that um, as Wycliffe um, studied the scriptures, and I'm sure Martin Luther had knew who Wycliffe was and probably had heard much about him, and that was a springboard for Luther. Um, But um, as he was, growing in the Holy Scriptures and learning and developing. And you also have to say probably have to say too that um, in a sense that um, the time was right if mm-hmm. that makes sense. It's yeah. A lot of things were going on not just within the church but also politically were going on around that time that made it a perfect fertile ground for Martin Luther to really succeed and I mean really Martin Luther started out to reform the church he didn't start off to protest against it. He didn't start off to um, make a whole new, um, he he didn't want to completely make a new church. Um, But because of the political climate of it, because of uh, the power of the Catholic Church, I mean, the only really only way was to make a new church. Um, So I think all those things combined along with, as you mentioned before, the printing press, a lot of things came together um, for Martin Luther to really um, make a dramatic impact. Um, in this particular time. But I think ultimately, through the reading of scriptures, there's a lot of verses, um, especially on this side of the Reformation, <laughs> um, a thousand years later, or almost a thousand years later, right. in our day and age, um, it's easy to see passages that would um, speak against a, a lot of the Catholic police back then. Um, so, yeah, when, when, they, when he dug into the scriptures, and you know, ultimately you have to say, too, that it was the Spirit of God working in him to open his eyes to see the passages. And, um, and I think a lot of what Martin Luther did, too, was for the um, – he was for, in a sense, you could say it was – this was what, what was best for the people because they couldn't read the scriptures. They couldn't read Latin. They, yeah. they, they needed um, they needed to be able um, to get scripture into their hands to be able to read it for themselves, um, too. And um, also, this is kind of a side note. Um, Martin Luther and when we look um, later when we speak about Calvin both of them are um, huge influences not for the church not only for the church but also for um, politics (laughs) so Mm. I think I watched a a video on democracy or something and they started with Luther like Mm. it was crazy and they're they're talking about democracy and they're talking about government and they started with Luther and they talked about Calvin Um, their way of thinking and giving the common people power Essentially, what they did, and 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 their ability to read scripture for themselves, they gave the common people power. They spoke more about the individual salvation. They spoke about the priesthood of all believers. Um, all those things contributed to uh, just a change, a major change of thought in the West. Um, and that change of thought in the West grew and grew and developed. So uh, Martin Luther and, as uh, so we talk about later, John Calvin were contributed even to democracy that we have today Mm -hmm. um through their um through their beliefs and through their reforming of the church and being against what was going on in the catholic church so Mm -hmm. yeah that was a long answer to what what did you ask
0: (laughs) (laughs) wow (laughs) (laughs) no No, you you covered covered it well Well, very thorough how did how did luther uh recognize and, and then enact uh change and Right. in that environment. So, yeah, I thought, I thought you covered that mm. quite well. Good. Yeah.
1: Good, I passed the test. Thanks. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, and also, to just I always <sighs> – I think we mentioned this earlier that it's kind of Martin Luther gets a lot of the credit, but he he alone wasn't the only one that was – No. Um, like I said before, there were also, like, princes. I think what German princes are they? Like a lot of governments were getting – tired of the power that uh, the Catholic Church was wielding around and mm. in, in this protest this this monk essentially Martin Luther was the perfect opportunity for them to like hey this is the time now for us to disassociate with the Catholic Church and mm. um, they were a lot of times would use him and the religious um, his theological beliefs as, as a backdrop or an excuse for them to pull away from the Catholic Church in a political sense. Um, all right. So next person we're gonna talk about is let me get this right here, Ulrich Alric Zing, Zingly,
0: Zing, Zing, Zing. <laughs> <laughs> Zing, Zing. <laughs> so Zingly, isn't Zwingly, he? Zwingly. He's uh, is he Dutch? He's <laughs> Swedish. He's.
1: He's uh, he was born in Eastern Lower Alps. Where the Alps are.
0: Switzerland, right? Switzerland, yeah.
1: He's... Swiss. 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 So he's Swiss. Yeah.
0: No wonder it's so hard to pronounce. Right. Swiss.
1: Ulrich Zwingli. There we go. That's why we have an in-house scholar here <laughs> who, who, uh, who knows how to speak the language of the Swiss.
0: And the English. And the English, <laughs> In English yes. He does not have English.
1: It's, it's a gift. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, Ulrich Zwingli...
0: <laughs> I think maybe for your purposes. Or I, might, I might just have to say Z. Z. Big Z. Yeah,
1: I like that. I hence the calves. Yeah. Cavs. Swingley uh, was born um, to a successful farmer, I guess similar to Whitcliffe. I don't think he was a shepherd, though. Swingley mm-hmm. developed um, a love for his homeland. Um, this, so this is kind of like a side note. Um, he was born in Trinaburg Valley of uh, the eastern lower alps and uh he loved the alps this is a side note he helped when he was translating one of the lines in psalms 23 he translated um as in the beautiful alps he tends to me so (laughs) he translated the alps into scripture because he thought it was so beautiful anyways but it took uh, zwingli years to discover the power of the word of god so after he graduated from the university of Basil. At 1506, he became a parish priest in Gowrush. Um, from the beginning, he took his priestly duties pretty seriously. Um, he wrote that when he was a young priest, that um, he, would, yeah, he took his priest, priestly duties very seriously, but the motivation, um, his duties were more inspired um, by fear than joy. Um, because of this, he, um, he was convinced um that he had because he, he believed he was going to give a convinced he was convinced that he had to give an account for the sheep or the people that were in his parish. and he was um, he didn't want to be careless with that. he He didn't want to be um, have the consequences of being careless about tending to the sheep in his congregation who were under his account. So he performed a lot of his priestly duties when he was young more out of fear. Um, and this fear, and uh, uh, in doing his priestly duties um, was the reason why, it's what led to his change. Um, so Zwingli was motivated um, to read and to delve into scripture. His motivation um, was because of his priestly duties that he wasn't doing it out of joy. It was this fear um, within him, his fear of, of the job itself. So that was his motivation. Unlike where Luther, his motivation the change was more in a personal search of salvation. Um, so they both had different motivations, but ultimately um, they led to the same conclusion. So about the time that Luther in Germany published the 95 statements or theses. <laughs> <laughs> theses. theses. right? Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, Zwingli, who had never heard of Luther at the time, began to preach a gospel based message message similar to that of Luther, um, so they were on the same wave wavelength, even though they did not know of each other. Which I think is a testament to the Spirit of God working in both of them. And as we spoke about earlier, this was the this time period was the perfect breeding ground for um, these quote unquote at the time radical thoughts or reforming thoughts or mm-hmm. as you may put it, uh, Zwingli began. Um, Attacking the abuses of the Catholic Church within Switzerland, so especially the sales of indulgences, as Luther was as well, um, and both him and Luther sought to reform the church from within, right? So they sought to reform it from within the church, but ultimately ended up um, dividing the church. Um, so in December 1518, Zwingli, um, he because of his um, role within. Um, The church, he became the people's priest at the great cathedral in Zurich. Um, And then he he started changing traditions. Um, So he broke the tradition by departing from the church's scheduled sermons. Uh, So the church would have scheduled sermons, but he broke from the tradition and instead Zwingli began preaching through whole books of the New Testament based on his study of Greek. Um, So he quickly... was starting to reform the church again from within, um, these small changes. But as we saw earlier with, and it, so this goes back to what we're saying earlier. This was the perfect time for change because John Wycliffe had these ideas way before them. He had these ideas um, in the 14th century, right? So mm-hmm. um, nearly a hundred years um, before these guys. But he, the Catholic Church had too much power. He didn't have the ability to make the changes. Where now this time. They're able to make these changes. Um, so um, he published um, 67 theses compared to 95 by Luther. So
0: uh-huh. He didn't have nearly <laughs> as many. <laughs> yeah, he didn't te- have as te- many. Tees, tees. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, Paul, Paul, the joke is old now. Okay. Oh, it's so, a joke. Yes. Oh. Some sometimes Paul doesn't know when to move on. I, <laughs> <laughs> uh, wait, I lost. I lost my train of thought. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, um, from our study, so there's a lot of study that went into this. So, um, don't don't think that Paul and I know all this off the top of our head.
0: We, <laughs> we have notes in front. <laughs> in of us. In case it's not already <laughs> obvious. <laughs> right. Yeah. We don't
1: regularly t- regularly talk of. Uh, church fathers in our free time. We should. Yeah, that would yeah, be fun. We'll take a quiz after this, and, and maybe even in, on Sunday we can come dressed up as our favorite church father. That would be <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, anyway, so he came up with 67 statements in which he rejected many of the Catholic doctrines, um, and also through my studies, it, it seems like his, even though he had less than Luther, they're in some ways they are more convincing uh, than Luthers. Um, but uh, also, so many drastic changes were happening. So in 1524, the city of Zurich uh, removed all religious images from its churches. Um, this was the same year that um, Zwingli married um, and further separated himself from Catholic rules because monks weren't allowed to marry, but he married and Luther married and everyone's just getting married. So... <laughs> <laughs> Throwing caution to right. the wind. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> Uh, this is also when square dancing started no i'm joking wow <laughs> wow that's uh fascinating do you know how to square dance i do oh, wow yeah. i don't but i don't want to be your partner so <laughs> well, um appreciate that. does quinn know how to square dance
0: uh, not that i know of oh wow yeah i don't imagine that
1: yeah she should teach her yeah um or teach brim she might know <laughs> all right, by 1525 the Protestant Reformation was taking full root in Switzerland. On April 14, 1525 Zurich leaders officially embolished um, Zurich leaders officially abolished mass. Um, and the Bible was read and preached in the language of the people, right? So this is also really important between, um, actually of all the people that we're going to talk about today. Um, you could say the leading thread through all of this is that um, the language of the people. Bible for the language of the people. That's mm-hmm. really what this is all about. Um, so if you forget everything that we say, just remember language of the people in the Bible. Uh, Zurich, am I saying it? Zwingli. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Zur- yeah, many oh. Zs. It's the Swiss. <laughs> I'm telling you, Zurich is the city Zurich, that right. he lived in. Yeah.
1: Zwingli saw it fit. Um, also that communion was served open to the congregation and clergy alike. And he was also against the venerating of Mary, the selling of indulges, as we already talked about, and the praying for the dead were no longer practiced. So um, a lot of Catholic, really um, staunch traditions, he was really pushing against all of them pretty fiercely, um, making a lot of changes. So uh, he ultimately ended up translating the Bible um, to Swiss German. Um so the first language of and this was language of the people, uh, translated to Swiss German. Um so again he was very influential um and in everything that was going on. Actually he ended up did he ended up meeting um, Martin Luther and ended up um I think having a conference or something together, but they had very different views on the Lord's Supper. Mm-hmm. And the views were so different that they ended up um actually kinda being maybe frenemies or enemies
0: i i can provide (laughs) some more detail on (laughs) that if you'd like this is actually a cool story story. so uh yeah you can imagine these two reformations happening in different parts of the world switzerland and and germany and you know all building up to this moment when zwingli and luther were going to meet and it was at the in uh, 1529 at marburg um the, the, the two movements and their leaders agreed to meet to try and figure out if they could collaborate, if they could uh, become uh, unified in their efforts. And they discussed 15 points of doctrine, 14 out of 15, right. they were all on the same page about, <laughs> right. uh, until they started talking about the Lord's Supper. Mm. And, and Luther insisted on... Uh, the notion that Christ was literally present uh, through the Lord's Supper, yeah. uh, Zwingli disagreed with that, and that alone was enough uh, apparently to get them pretty uh, pretty oh, upset boy. with one another. Because um, after all was said and done, they they, they left frustrated and and uh, with not a whole lot of respect for one another. Luther said Zwingli was of the devil, <laughs> and that he was nothing but a wormy <laughs> nut. He was nothing but a wormy <laughs> nut. And Zwingli resented uh, Luther's treating him quote-unquote like an ass. So, oh, wow. the donkey, of course. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they, I guess, um, you know, they, they had high hopes that they would agree on everything, right. but we know better, right, after all this time. That but is, he called him a wormy nut. A wormy nut, that yeah. Is, wow. It's pretty low. That is really low. I can't imagine, and that time might have been been even worse you I know. know a wormy not
1: make sure i never say that around the girls <laughs> Wormy or not so
0: yes or put them together <laughs> yeah and don't,
1: i can't put them together yeah. uh if they ever say it, i'm like don't you ever say wormy not
0: so <laughs> right <laughs> that, that crosses the line right crosses yes
1: the line. um and then uh interestingly enough um at 1531 and this is this is probably the start of many, many battles to come. So Catholics attacked the city of Zurich and um, the Protestants battled against them and this is the start of many wars between Catholics and Protestants. Or you could say between governments Roman, um, the Holy Roman Empire and different governments that were um, separating at the time. Um, Anyways, uh, Zwingli was a chaplain in that battle, a field chaplain, Hmm. Um, but he was severely wounded and they ended up killing him and and cutting him up and all that bad stuff. So, <laughs> wow. anyways, he ended yeah, ended up dying from the battle. Um, um, as he was a chaplain during that time, um, but Zwingli's influence, again, just like Martin Luther and 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 Wycliffe, his, their um, influence um, really really transformed um, the next. This is also very interesting. All these all these. Uh, uh, Protestant, and I guess Wycliffe is a little bit before the Protestant Reformation, but all of them in influenced generations after them. So mm. much of their work wasn't, they, they saw a lot of change in their lifetime, but the ultimately the biggest changes were happening after their lifetime and continue to this day. I mean, many people, um, if you talk about people outside of Scripture, uh, many people have probably heard of Martin Luther or, as we talk about later, uh, John Calvin. There's not, and there's not very many names that people know from early church historical figures, but Martin Luther's one of them for sure. And Calvin's one of them. But all they, they've left a mark on generations to come um, because of their work for the Lord. So mm-hmm. that's what I have on Zwingli, Ulrich. Ulrich Zwingli. Zwingli. Yeah. Good,
0: good good stuff. Well done. Yeah. I think a few takeaways for me are things that I'd. You know, trying to process on the other side is uh, one you said early on that so much of what he accomplished was motivated by fear. Uh, mm-hmm. so much of his drive was, um, the fear out of essentially letting God down and, and, um, mm-hmm. not taking responsibility for his, his leadership role, which is, uh, I mean, I think there is a, such a thing as a healthy fear, a sense of reverence for God and, and respecting your position and, and, uh, you know, as scripture says to those whom much is given, much will be expected. And, and I think Zwingli felt the pressure of that. Um, so I think that's a healthy thing, but of course we would have loved to, you know, hear more of a a sense of joy and, and, um, just a a passion, you know, a, a heartfelt passion for serving out of love and, and, um, you know, and, and just zeal and, um, not not so much just a, a fear-driven thing. So, right. uh, you know, the results maybe on, on the surface are, are similar, but you, you wonder what maybe might have been if, if he had uh, more of a rounded approach in that sense. And, and then secondly, you know, this whole meeting with Luther and Zwingli is, is epic on so many levels. And uh, to me it just... Uh, you know, these are both incredible men doing incredible things in a, in a desperate time in, in church history. And you, you put them together and you think, wow, you know, if it, look what they accomplished on their own. Can you imagine if they would just join forces and, right. and uh, they could take the world by storm? And they sit there and they, you know, they check off 14 boxes and say, yeah, the, you know, I agree. I, you believe that? Well, I believe that, too. And then right. they, they get to 15 and just, uh, you know... It's almost it's more than semantics, but it's uh, the the difference is somewhat, at least in my eyes, insignificant compared to all the other things we could disagree on. Yet that was enough to have them, you know, throwing down in the middle of the conference room and, and storming off, you know, calling each other names and stuff. <laughs> yeah. It just uh, to me speaks to this, uh, to our, our human nature and our, our struggle to um, to to unify you know, around uh, our greatest purpose in life, which is serving the Lord, uh, and how easily we allow just um, relatively minute, you know, differences stand in the way of that. And of course, they're always significant when you're in the midst of them, or when right. it's when it becomes personal, or, you know, we're, we're certainly more passionate about some things than others. But, you know, if we can find ways to, to come together along the, the big picture concept, and, and this notion of just love and and faithfulness, and service, um, and acceptance of Christ as Lord, then, uh, you know, just looking back in hindsight on on history, and seeing Luther and Zwingli, and from this outside perspective, just wishing, and and imagining, and dreaming into what that could have been, you know, makes me look on our current situation in the world now, and and the church in particular, and, um, you know, can't we can't we find some common ground and find a way to continue to work together even though there are differences that that stand between us
1: all right well put
0: thank you well uh and then there was one yep mr calvin and um thanks for sticking with us And, and calvin is probably uh as a a, almost as much to say um as luther did so uh, but i'll move through it expeditiously Uh, calvin was born in in 1509 born in france His father was a, a lawyer and um as opposed to luther his his hope at least initially was that um that his son john would be a leader in the church so uh he had calvin begin his studies He became a fine scholar. He spoke uh, proficient Latin. He was uh, a philosopher. Um, He was uh, qualified then to take his studies further into uh, theology school in in Paris. Uh, But then suddenly, as as John was uh, nearing completion of his education, his father changed his mind and and told John, well, I I really think maybe a better path for you would be law. (laughs) And and so uh, John um, agreed, submitted to his father's wishes, and uh, went on to spend the next five or six years at the University of Orleans um, and uh, attaining some success, but uh, albeit in a field that he wasn't uh, thrilled with at, at the time. Uh, he really didn't want to study this, but he, he learned Greek. He read the classics. He uh, he became fi- familiar with the material of, of Plato, which he added to the Aristotle expertise he already had. He He began writing. Um, and uh, he, he became an expert in the law, um, but he was at the same time strongly moved by his um, frustrations with the, the papacy and, and the corruption of the, the papacy. And he became, um, as we start to see the connections here, he became identified with the Lutheran movement of the time because of his uh, critique of, of the papacy. Uh, people started calling him a, a Lutheran. And ultimately, um, he began to uh, trend in, in that direction, and, and his studies um, went that direction. And, and ultimately, he penned um, a book that uh, became one of the things most uh, often associated with them, and it, uh, it's called The Institutes of the Christian Religion. And it was essentially a manual for those who wanted to know what the, the, the Christian faith was all about. Um, And here's a quote from Calvin. He said, I labored at the task of of writing this book, especially for our own Frenchmen, for I saw that many were hungering and thirsting after Christ, and yet that only a very few had any real knowledge of him. And so in in this book, Calvin outlined his view on on the church, the sacraments, uh, justification, Christian liberty, Uh, even political government. So he covered the the whole uh, kit and caboodle here, all about the Christian faith and everything associated with it. And um, he even uh, gave voice to his beliefs uh, on the doctrine of predestination here for the first time in this uh, book, The Institutes of the Christian Religion. Predestination, uh, I think very simply, as I understand it, is this notion that uh, um, God knows in advance or, or even dictates in advance who will ultimately receive salvation and, and who won't and uh, butts up against the, uh, the uh, Christian doctrine of free will as well. And so um, there are some who, of course, align with Calvin in, in this belief, uh, but there are some for whom this is the, the greatest um, disagreement that they have with Calvin is his belief in predestination. But anyhow, he starts uh, highlighting this belief in in this book, also argues for the indefectibility of grace, uh, this idea that grace can never be withdrawn uh, from somebody who God has predestined uh, to be saved. So this, these particular people that are elected or or destined to be saved are always within God's grace, no matter what. Um, So, and really what Calvin was trying to do was comfort um, new believers. He wanted to them to, to have assurance that God was with them wasn't going to abandon them um, but uh, at the time it, it was especially important because the the church at the time uh, made things very difficult on new believers people are always anxious about whether they were saved or not what was their destiny that they had they done enough um, to receive salvation were they going to lose their salvation because they they slip up in this area of their life and Calvin wanted to reassure them uh, so this is part of I think his thinking behind these doctrines um, but he stood stood by them uh, and it's an area of contention for those uh, who study him. Uh, but Calvin ends up fleeing France to escape some some persecution he was dealing with and he settles in Geneva, a city that will uh, ultimately be associated with him to the end and this is uh, Geneva, Switzerland, right um, so. We're back to Switzerland again wow. yeah. I know that. But uh, he's there for 18 months, and uh, he, he ends up kind of picking a fight with the city council. He disagrees with them on something, so they kick him out of the city. So he, he leaves Geneva. He's heading for Strasbourg. Uh, he pastors for a couple of years there. He gets married um, to a, a widow uh, who has two children that she brings into the marriage. Um, but uh, within a few years, his reputation had spread. He, he wrote other books. Um, people started to uh, respect him and, and his teachings and the geneva city authorities of, of geneva switzerland right yeah stephen's doing us a google search here <laughs> yeah the geneva convention and uh so this uh geneva has some modern day right. um uh, popularity as well Switzerland, isn't it's uh,
1: it's not where i would have thought on the map so
0: you oh, were man. picturing it being a like South in South area. America, yeah. <laughs> 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 I thought. Uh, no, I thought it was more northern,
1: but it's right near France. Interesting.
0: Yeah, it's just not quite up to uh, Scandinavia there. Right, so it's it's kind of sandwiched seeking. in between. So this is he, he goes back to Geneva because the Genevan uh, leadership calls him back, uh, even though they kicked him out a few years before this, and um, he spends the rest of his life trying to help establish. A theocratic society in Geneva, which basically, as I, I read about it, and understand it, basically a, a Christian, uh, like the, he wants to uh, establish the perfect Christian um, society, the perfect Christian city. And um, he believed that the church, as it's represented in the city of Switzerland, as he developed it, should uh, mirror the, the principles laid down in the Bible. So um, there were four particular orders of ministry that he created or pushed for in geneva and they were these there there were uh, people who were pastors doctors elders and deacons so if you can start to imagine this this perfect christian society what are the different leadership roles people would play Uh, the first pastors um, as you might expect conducted the worship services they preached they administered the, the sacraments they cared for the spiritual welfare of the of those Uh, from the city. The doctors, you might wonder who the doctors, doctors at the time was just another uh, another word for teachers essentially and so they spent their days lecturing. Uh, They would lecture the people on passages and and concepts from the Old and New Testament uh, multiple times throughout the week so their job was to teach and make sure the people were well versed in in their Christian uh, doctrines and understandings. Elders Um, elders, this one I find particularly interesting elders kept an eye on on spiritual affairs, so basically elders would wander around town and and if they saw uh, that uh, there was somebody who was maybe enjoying his his alcohol a little bit too much and too often uh, they would speak up, if they saw that uh, somebody was committing spousal abuse of some sort they would would act on it if they saw that uh, two people who were um, who were married, who were spending too much time with uh, somebody else, you know, with uh, uh, somebody else's spouse, they would, they would speak up and they would admonish these people and try and set them back on the, the straight and narrow. And if they didn't, uh, if they didn't do what they were told to do, then ultimately it could lead to excommunication through, through the church. So that was the elders' role. And finally, the deacons were in charge of the the social welfare of um, the entire city the entire uh, community they would make sure that uh, people had medical care that they needed uh, their basic needs were taken care of and they did so well at it the deacons did that uh, geneva unlike every other city in the world at the time had no beggars no people that were were so uh, poor that they uh, had to uh, seek out and and have a life uh, live a life of begging and and uh Um, seeking others um, for welfare. So the system worked really well. Um, It really did, at least from the outside, looking in. um, And uh, another gentleman, another uh, reformer at the time, John Knox, uh, stopped by in Geneva in in 1554, and he said, uh, this is the most perfect school of Christ that ever was in the earth since the days of the apostles. So uh, they had a lot of respect of of, uh, folks who were looking on, as they try to accomplish this, so Calvin, in the midst of all of this, is a leader. But uh, in particular, he's preaching multiple times a week. He's uh, lecturing along with the doctors or the teachers, uh, particularly an expert on the Old Testament. Um, he took place on the the advisory board. He was on committees or uh, being asked for advice by the deacons all the time. He was right in the center of all of this. He was not uh, a ruler or a dictator of uh, this uh, Christian experiment in Geneva, uh, but he had been appointed by the city council. He was a paid employee, essentially. He could have been uh, dismissed any time that they wanted to get rid of him, Um, but uh, his authority in his mind was uh, stemming from his morality and, and uh, God's call in his life. He felt like as he was there to preach the message of the Bible, that he was God's ambassador and uh, thus he had the authority to lead in this city of Geneva. Um, and uh, he was involved in everything from, you know, preaching and teaching to uh, taking care of the, the city drains and, and the heating appliances, as I've read. Uh, so he was right in the midst of all of it. There's uh, one incident in 1553 a gentleman by the name of Michael Servetus um, who was escaping uh, Catholic authorities because he had denied the Trinity. He was trying to stand up against the the Catholic Church at the time too uh, because he didn't believe what they were teaching about the Trinity. Um, So there was this incident where this guy wanders into Geneva, Michael Servetus probably expecting to um, have the sympathy of of the Genevans um as th- what they're trying to accomplish he thought maybe was similar to him but uh they had no uh, they had no patience with them they believed him to be a, a heretic just as the catholics did and so uh under calvin's leadership they ended up burning servetus at the stake so just because they were trying to uh to reform this christian society didn't mean that they let things go loosely um they were, very, very adamant, uh, even to the point of uh, not just excommunicating somebody, but taking their life uh, on, on account of uh, what they called heresy. So Calvin uh, lived and, and uh, cared for, led the city of Geneva for some time, and his body began to, to, to fail him, got to a point where he couldn't walk to get to the, the church where he preached, So, uh, but he persisted no matter what. Uh, he made people carry him in a chair to get there. When the doctor told him he wasn't allowed to go out in the cold weather, he had you know groups of people come in and stand around his bed in his bedroom so he could preach to him uh, from there. I'll do
1: that for you, Paul. When you get older, you promise, and you can't walk. I will yeah. carry. The, I'll carry the chair for you when you can't walk. So I will um, <laughs> be there for you, man. <laughs> <coughs> so hopefully that. Uh, hopefully when you're um when you're getting old you you might just still love <laughs> preaching so All
0: right, there's no way are you seriously like just
1: continue oh nope didn't work hey everyone sorry we had a technical difficulty there but uh paul's gonna wrap up um john calvin
0: yes uh, i'm gonna wrap it up with calvin's demise uh we've said enough <laughs> but uh his his life in in Geneva, um, just as so much we could take from that but um, there's a lot of uh, controversy and, and a lot of beautiful things happening at the same time so i will say breaking that down for another time but um, the uh, as, as steven mentioned earlier uh, one of the points to be taken here in this this uh, society that uh, calvin was trying to establish it's not just his christian beliefs that are drawn from that um, people credit Calvin's um, this perfect society he was establishing for uh, influencing the rise of capitalism, uh, individualism, and, and uh, even democracy, is, as Stephen has said. So a lot to be studied here in, in Geneva and a lot that ended up coming from this. Um, he had major influence as well on future uh, theologians and evangelists, uh, George Whitfield, uh, Karl Barth in particular, and uh set off a, an entire movement uh puritanism you know of course on on top of uh calvinist, the calvinist directly uh calvinist movement which became the presbyterian church by understanding but also the puritan uh puritanism movement that uh was part of the american colonies in the early years of of our nation so um calvin uh passed away in 1564 and uh long life and uh, beautiful life and incredible influence Um, but uh, i think that uh, as i look on this notion of creating a christian state you know is that that really what god intends for us um i don't know i I think that god still wants us to be in and amongst uh people who are not believers i I think uh, there's some sense of trying to work with um with uh society in general and trying to discern How we can bring Christianity into it, but not maybe dictating all of society around our faith, um, uh, at least until we first uh, demonstrate God's love and and help people come to uh, their own knowledge and acceptance of Christ um, and and, uh, go about it that way. But uh, we could we could go more in depth into that. We'll save that for a different time. Uh, But any final words, Stephen? No,
1: I I I think that's great. Sounds good. Um, we just want to thank everyone for listening, and um, thank you all for your support. And uh, hopefully, this was informative uh, for you. And uh, we're looking forward to doing the next podcast on another group of church leaders as we make our way up to the modern time. And I think we'll uh, make our way all all the way up to the modern time, all the way right up to Paul. So, Paul, like Paul Bennett yeah
0: paul bennett (laughs) (laughs) who's it
1: so yeah thank you all for listening and uh, we'll talk to you soon